Kiat Mila Falsha. A hundred thousand welcomes from Visit Scotland. A podcast meeting people and sharing stories from the country that we love. Today, food and drink. Welcome to Scotland. I'm Neil Robertson. I'm a Scottish travel writer and blogger. When I was travelling internationally, I always felt that Scotland was slightly off the beaten track as a destination. I wanted to change that, and it's great to explore all the nooks and crannies of my homeland. Today we're in Glasgow, exploring my home city, somewhere that I'm enormously passionate about. I was born and bred here. I hate to leave it for any length of time. I'm taking you on a journey around this neighbourhood, between the city centre of Glasgow and the vibrant West End, Finiston. It is thriving. And that's not something you could have perhaps said 25 years ago, but today, it's got energy and a dynamism. You're getting to know the real life. What's the history? Small, independent, fun and great tasting. There's home to some of the finest restaurants and bars in the country. Do they think that we only make steak pie? Today there'll be halibut coming up from the west coast, lobsters and langoustines, mussels from Shetland, haddock down from Peterhead, haken from Scrabster, Dover sole, they come from the Solway coast in Dumfries. <laughs> My name's Stuart Wilson. Nice to see you, bye bye. Stuart is a local fishmonger and owner of this place, Wilson's Catch of the Day. Thanks James, see you later, bye bye. Thanks for your fineness. And his wife's just about to have a baby. About to be a dad, I hear. Ah, just about, <laughs> jeez. Yeah. <laughs> I just need to put a sign in the door. Closed. Is that your first? Yes, well, she was actually due last Thursday there. I'll probably come here for a break now. <laughs> <laughs> it's fairly early in the morning. I don't tend to function that well until about dinner time, but this is, this is normal for you, this early start. Normally up at four or five in the morning and still wow. still working at night time but say I'll probably be up even earlier now won't I? <laughs> yes indeed. Crazy yeah. but I take my hat off to the, the actual fishermen that catch the produce because if it wasn't for those guys I wouldn't have a, a business. You can't stockpile that stuff of course. No. Freshness is everything no. right? Uh-huh. Exactly. Yeah. I mean it's all depending on the weather and stuff and I'll take it straight off the boat and you can't get fresher than that. You can tell by even just looking at it how fresh it is. See, like, for instance, the last couple of weeks, I think it was like 40, 50 mile an hour winds. So some of the day boats couldn't get out. Just now, for instance, the haddock's spawning, so it's very thin. You're yeah. a fish fan yourself? Something my passion. Yeah. Would you eat? Would be your choice. What's left? <laughs> well, <okay>. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. <laughs> and Finiston in general, what's really taken off in the food scene? How do you feel about Finiston as an area? Hipster, as they call it. Nice spot. Mm. Makes such a difference. A lot more people are coming to the area now, not only to eat, but people walk by the shop. See, before, maybe 15 years ago, you wouldn't even walk down that street, especially at night time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Well, enjoy okay. your day yeah. anyway, all right? Yeah. Take care. Thank you very much. Cheers. See you later. Bye. To the south of me are the old docks. That's where the, the real heartland of Glasgow's industrial past comes from, on the shores of the mighty River Clyde. The north border of Finiston is Kelvin Grove Park. Acres of parkland that's surrounded by the wealth of Glasgow's industrial past. Flat-fronted, turn-of-the-century, 19th-century townhouses. And of course, Glasgow University, which overlooks the park, the great Gothic spires there. 
So what can we have for breakfast? We've created your classic big breakfast. We work with a local vegan meat producer and they create square sausages and bacon and vegetarian haggis. I'm Gillian McIntyre and I run Maze Coffee and Food. Can I get porridge? So it's porridge with coconut milk and cinnamon, um, berry compote, granola. Sound good? Yes. And that's to go? Yes, please. Great. I think for us, um, Finiston has been really well known for its bar and nightlife and when we were looking for somewhere to have our little cafe we wanted more of a daytime vibe about it. There's a sort of vegetarian market here already with the pubs and the 78 and there's a couple of coffee roasters near us. So being a coffee brewer we can bring different styles of coffee and different roasteries into the mix um, and being a sort of daytime place it gives a place for vegans and vegetarians to hang out during the day as well as pubs and restaurants at night. Thanks a lot. Cheers. So porridge time, mm, that's good stuff. It was around about 10 years ago that Finiston's reputation for food started to, to spread really. And so for me, I suppose the, the Finiston thing really kicked off with places like Crab Shack. That was my first real experience of, of great Scottish seafood at its best. And you've also got places like the Gannet, which has got just a bit of everything. The hand dive scallops, razor clams. And of course, the thing that brings this all together, the thing that they have in common is that great Scottish produce, like the stuff that Stuart's bringing in. And that's the same for another Finiston institution, the Sisters, run by Chef Jack O'Donnell. Hi there. How are you doing? Not too bad. Jack, is it? Yes, I'm Jack. Neil, nice, nice to meet you. Neil, welcome to the Sisters. Oh, we've got a wild highland venison with crispy kale and then a wee chimichurri sauce going on top of it, just that nice parsley and cream celeria, peterhead cod, Scottish chorizo and mussel broth. Local, but eating a sort of global flavour. You've also got ham and cabbage and then the signature pudding is puff candy meringue. You'd be as well spreading it on your hips because that's where it's going, <laughs> but it tastes magic in the way down through to the kitchen. They've just delivered the rhubarb. It's got quite a bit of a kick. See, that would be perfect, that piece. Would you like me to make you a wee pokey of sugar? Have you ever had that? No. No, no. you never I had? I, oh my I can't remember. But my dad always hated rhubarb, so it pretty much wasn't allowed in the house. It's quite trendy at the moment in gins and, and sorbets. I would have to pick it um, in my granny's and I would hand it in at the back door and she would just hand me one stick back out. And that was my treat. Right, let me rinse this and get some sugar. It would be made out of um, a newspaper. The way you would make a piping bag, and then you would fill it with sugar. Oh, this is so funny. <laughs> this is gonna give me diabetes. Aye. <laughs> Dunk the rhubarb, and then bite it. Oh, God. <laughs> Okay. Eye-wateringly tart. But really kind of sweet. So I'm going back in for more. <laughs> Converted. Good experience. We use things when they're in season because they taste magic. You know, we wait for the asparagus. You only get a four-week window in Scotland, but that's it. That's it. Yeah. So it's thinking about Scottish 
food names. They've got like Cullen Skink, Cranachan, uh -huh. um, Clapshot sounds like something at the trenches. So <laughs> talk through some of those words. Well, Clapshot's your best one because it actually sounds as if it's something that you've caught from somewhere, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. it's really just turn up <laughs> and potato mashed together. Uh, and turn up is, well, it's Swede that mm -hmm. we use here. Um, Cranachan... Cranachan takes on so many different ways nowadays, and for me it's got to be the classic. Lightly whipped cream, folded through Scottish raspberries, toasted oats, a drizzle of honey and a wee dram. And for me, that's Scotland in a glass. So tell us a little bit about this room that we're in at the moment then. So this is actually a converted tenement building, and it is all flats above us. But you can see this would be the front room, um, which I think it was a very expensive part of town to live. Around 1900? Yes, yeah. uh -huh. mm -hmm. I think it was 1907. The horse-drawn tram stopped outside here. It's such a lovely room. And it's someone's former living room, yeah. basically. I grew up in a tenement as well as in Partick, so I remember the kind of community feel of tenement life, mm -hmm. the wally closes and everything, which apparently has to do with the tiles, and I just found that out recently. Right. The tiling within the tenements is wally. And that's part of the Finiston appeal, isn't it? Because a lot of the buildings are the same kind of thing. They've been refurbished tenements. Yeah. We're not talking custom built. It's just everyone fitting into the quirkiness. It's just old school and yeah. you get that mix of the modern Finiston goers, but you also get like Jimmy and George. Aye. How did you get your love of cooking? Well, my love of cooking came as a result of my granny seeing my options and mm. I was taking French, Spanish, Italian woodwork and metalwork. I'm sure I remember a clip round the ear and, <laughs> well, how are you going to learn to cook for a husband? Absolutely no intention of even having a husband at 14. Yeah. I was too busy playing with my pals. So I had to take... It was domestic science in those days and before you know it, you're quite good. Right. Girls were put in pastry. So therefore I became a pastry chef and I didn't know that that was a thing that girls weren't in a kitchen until, you know... A couple of years passed, and again I was popped in the pastry. And we decided, my friend and I, that we had had enough of this and we would go to France. I always say this, a chef's a chef. You're a good chef, whether you're male or you're female. However, just the way the ranks worked, that was a thing. Came back from France and decided to be self-employed. But I missed that buzz. So I thought, I'll hire myself out to people like a chef at home. Yeah, yeah. It was so successful, the dinner party thing. I was a tenner ahead and I went, cooked, cleaned and served mm -hmm. and left the kitchen immaculate. No wonder I was busy. Ten pounds for three <laughs> courses. You don't get that nowadays. Anyways, a lady said to me, eh, you should do this for a living. And that's where it started in 1997. And then I got a call to say that this building was up for sale. And so we've been 14 years here. So many people said, no, no, don't come to this end of town. This or, is Finiston. Ah, this is Finiston. Yeah. It wasn't really Finiston then, it was just that end of town. <laughs> and I came down and fell in love with the room. Then all these other wee places started to open up. Was there a big moment when you felt that that was the Finiston had its, its time? Yes. The week that Rod Stewart and Beyonce were playing, <laughs> right. we were mobbed and I'm saying, where are all these people coming from? And it never dawned on me. Clearly not quite as business savvy as I thought. Um, that's why these places were opening up, because the Hydro came here. Um, a, an events venue that matches anything else that's the best in Britain mm -hmm. and the big names 
all were coming to it. But it was the week that Rod Stewart and Beyonce opened it. And this place was jumping. And I think what's more galling is I didn't see it coming. Here we go. Sure. Ham and cabbage. Excellent. You're welcome. Food's a nostalgic thing. So what reminds you of being young? Oh, ham and cabbage. Loved it. Sausage and mash was coming trendy and I didn't want to be. You know, I was the girl that was putting the pastry. Now I'm the chef that owns the restaurant. I'm yeah. not cooking sausage and mash. <laughs> and I thought, my granny cooked the ham hoch, mm -hmm. the tatties, and the, it was Dutch cabbage in those days, the white one. We didn't have fancy hispy cabbage or savoy when I was younger. But she'd put everything in the pot for the same length of time. Mm. So the ham would be stunning. It would be falling off the bone. It was great. The tatties would be a kind of grey, cloudy, soupy-like texture. And the cabbage smelt like something out of school dinners. <laughs> so I thought, well, how can I take that dish and make it really nice? Mm. We cook our hams for 10 to 12 hours. Wow. Potatoes, well... A good potato will take its own weight in butter and cream, and that's why you can't get that taste when you make it at home. In the cabbage, we just lightly steam it, and that dish has been on for 21 years. Still going strong. Mm -hmm. I can't nice that your <laughs> granny's got a connection to it as well, so give her the credit. I know, I know. <laughs> Do you know, unfortunately, she, she wasn't alive to see the restaurant mm. opening, but I know she's up there going... Really? <laughs> Your husband's still not heavy enough. <laughs> 25 years on, he's the same weight. Good grief. I love places like that. And you know, another of, of my favourites is, is Mother India. And I've been going there since I was a wee boy with all the family. And I have a Glasgow curry, a famous Glasgow curry. Butter chicken, all the veggie pakora you could possibly eat. And a long-standing favourite for me, I suppose, Mother India Cafe, where it's very casual when you'd be hanging out with your mates. Right, do you fancy a drink? Whiskey is the water of life, and you can't come to Glasgow, you can't come to Scotland without sampling our national drink. So let's head to the waterfront and the banks of the River Clyde. At the Queen's Dock, in the pump house, is where Bridgine Mullen works at the Clydeside Distillery. I love coming to work because in the early part of the week we're mashing and the smells <laughs> from those mashes are amazing. This pump house building was built in 1877 to generate the power that would open the swing bridge that was just beside us that would open up into the Queen's Dock. This is where the hydraulic pump was, and this pump generate that power. The wonderful vistas on the wall of, of oh. the old workers as well. These are hardy characters. Yeah. <laughs> Glasgow in its heyday had over 30 distilleries. For families, you know, generations of families worked in these docks. These were huge vessels carrying cargo uh, that was going to all corners of the world, and that included whiskey. And in these dogs, they were like wee villages in its own right, you know. They had their own fire service and they had their own services here. But if you come into the 1950s, um, things were changing. Industry was changing, shipbuilding was changing. So by the 1960s, we really saw the decline. And then by the time we're at the 1970s, 
the Queen's Dock itself, then that was filled in. Very unusual to have a distillery in a city, but this is the first in Glasgow for 100 years, is that right? This is the first single malt distillery to open in Glasgow in over 100 years. Yeah. Well, the background really is Tim Morrison and his son come from a great uh, legacy of whisky making. They used to own names we will know very well, and those are three distilleries that were Bullmore, Glengarry and Ockintoshan distilleries. They sold many years ago, and, and Tim was always uh, an independent bottler. But that hankering for making whiskey must still have been there. Now, we're, we're going to be a, a lowland single malt whiskey. We're, we're waiting patiently. Our casks are filled, but we're in the early stages. And as we know at whiskey, it's about that duration in cask, and that's where in years to come we'll have that lovely single malt whiskey to enjoy. You start off with two ingredients. It's that simple. If only it was, really. Mm -hmm. So, And those two ingredients are water. Our water comes from Loch Catron. Glasgow's water source. Glasgow's own mm -hmm. water. The malt we get come from Scottish fields. And that malt, then, we have to turn it into a grist. It goes through a mill. So once it's broken down, that grist goes into a mash tun. The distillery manager. They are. They're a celebrity in their own right. And I think we might have Alistair here to see us. Yes, well, nice to meet you, Arthur. Nice I'm Neil. You. Yeah, Fantastic. You. You've got the best job in the world, yeah? You think so? Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. To be able to, to open in the banks of the River Clyde, albeit we're not using the water from the River Clyde. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, it's, it's very important. And uh, I mean, how often do you get the opportunity to, to start a new distillery and create a new spirit? We're doing a typical lowland style spirit, which is delicate, smooth, sweet, fruity. Seeing the, the first mash going in, that kind of brought a tear to your eye. We're in the mash house here. This is uh, the second part of the process, basically just converting the starch into sugar and then moving the sugar, the wort, into these washbacks that you can see here for fermentation. So this is where you add the yeast and convert the sugars into to alcohol, basically. There is a fruitiness in the air. You're creating flavours. What I'm going to do, I'm going to let you have a wee nose in the washback and you're going to see where the fruity flavours and sweet characters are coming from. I mentioned mm -hmm. about creating this fruit, sweet yeah. character. You can get a bananas. Apples and, and bananas, apples. Yep. yeah. Yep. And it looks like a giant bubble bath. Yeah, that's what it's like. It's just a strong, it's like a strong malty beer. And if you were to filter it and have a taste of it, it's just like a, a flat beer. It's very pleasant. cask is always such a vital part of the process. That's where a lot of the magic happens. So what can you tell us about the casks that you're going to be using? Yeah, well, it's uh, obviously, like everybody else, we've got our wood policy. Uh, we don't really disclose, you know, exactly what the wood is, but there's no point in creating a wonderful spirit if you're putting it in inferior wood. So. Former bourbon casks, can you tell us that much? Yes, oh yes. No, I mean, there's bourbon casks, there's, there's, there's sherry casks, and there's different expressions of them, and, you know, maybe even a few other specials. Ooh, yeah. like the sound of that. The shape of the still as well also has a big part to play on the, you know, the, the final flavour. And I always think the, the stills are what visually really sets a, a distillery apart. That's yeah. the most beautiful room. Yes, it looks lovely, you know, but copper is a very important part of the process and copper acts as a catalyst and takes sulphurous compounds out of the spirit. You'll see the two stills that we have. We haven't named them. Our guys clean up the brasses uh, daily. That's part of their daily routine is to keep them polished as well. 
Visually, this is spectacular because you've got the, the stills, but you've also got this beautiful open glass backdrop of the Clyde and the Glenlee tall ship. How often do you get to look down the river from being out more or less in the middle of it? You're normally looking from either side of the river. When you think of the, the iconic buildings of Glasgow, you think City Chambers, Kelvin Grove, this could be right up there with them. It's a futuristic side to Glasgow, actually, in many ways, isn't it? The, the dock now. And there's Titan, the crane. But it hasn't completely no. changed. Well, interestingly, it was only after they'd purchased the pump house in 2012. Tim Morrison and son. Now, Tim had a great-grandfather called John Morrison, and John Morrison was in construction. And he was a partner in a business called Morrison & Mason. And he knew he'd build significant buildings, to say the least, throughout Scotland and in Glasgow, some of those being the city chambers, Clyde Port building, Citizens Theatre. And when they were doing the research and the history of the Queen's Dock, the pump house itself, they discovered then that it was Morrison and Mason, our chairman's great-grandfathers, built the Queen's Docks. Wow. And it was known as the export dock in its day as well. So uh, it's like full circle and uh, very meant to be. Okay, here we go, the big moment. Yeah, this is, so this is our new make spirit. This is what's came off the second distillation, the still on the left-hand side, the spirit still. And this is uh, currently 73.6%. We don't uh, fill it into the cast at this strength. We reduce it down to 635 But it hasn't developed its, its personality yet because it's not no. coloured, so it's crystal clear. It yes. looks more like water, really. Think back to the washbacks, the fruity aroma, the banana aroma. Do you get the sweet nose, the... I think that's quite a tropical fruitiness as yes. well. Yeah. For me, it's... I keep going back to Sorry. <laughs> it's a clean new mix spirit. Yes. Some new mix spirits yeah. are kind of oily. But what might be nice to do is to maybe introduce you to a wee lowland highland and Isla. That would be dreadful. All right, I'm really sorry, but we're going to have to insist yeah. on it. <laughs> have a good nose. What do you smell? Quite big flavours. It's about the colour in that glass. It's taking your time to smell all those smells and then it's savouring every drop. It's a very positive addiction when you put it that way, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> yeah. no, all in moderation. Yes, of course. All in moderation, course. definitely. <laughs> and with a nice whiskey glow, across the river we go now, heading south towards Govan and the Big Feed. I've always thought, especially when traveling in, in Asia, particularly the, the, the street markets are incredibly social way to eat. And it's the diversity of the, the vendors and the stalls at the Big Feed that really catch the eye immediately. It's very informal, it's very family friendly. And what have we here? Sweet corn, coriander and tomatoes. It's mild salsa. The Glasgow local is like Mexican. Why? Definitely. <laughs> the beef's our biggest seller, followed by our pulled pork, which is Persian pork. Everything insofar as we can is Scottish produce. Sweet potatoes as well as a popular vegetarian option. And how busy are you expecting it to be today? I would imagine quite busy. A good Glasgow atmosphere then. Yes. <laughs> Spinach ricotta and lemon, pesto and mozzarella. 
an arancini stall right beside Japanese street food. Japanese dumplings, Spanish tapas. Mikey, who's got the lowest bothy, worked with a Michelin-starred yes. chef through in Edinburgh, Tom Kitchen. I personally put in two stones since we started this. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jonathan, the organiser of Big Feed. Tell us all about the Big Feed. The Big Feed Street Food Social, we kicked it off two years ago. Funnily enough, this is our second birthday party this weekend. Yep. Basically originated from, I'm an offshore diver and I was looking for a project to do over the winter. We okay. stopped diving about October. And when you say diver, I always think scallops. It's a lot less interesting than it actually sounds. We work on pipelines for oil and gas companies. I'm basically an underwater workman. I love street foods. First thing I do when I go to a new city is try and find the street food market. And I bought an old vintage Citroen truck, Fire Dog, four years ago now. Mm-hmm. It was a fire engine that was working up until 1981 in the south of France. We managed to buy it off the farmer. It was still a fully functioning fire engine. We converted it over six months and brought it to Glasgow about three years ago now to do gourmet hot dogs. We struggled in Scotland to find anywhere to place it. All there was was farmer's markets. We took over a couple of streets and then I started looking for somewhere to do it ourselves. So describe where we are right now. Hey, we're on Govan Road. It's uh, basically it was a industrial warehouse that was run by a friend of ours, Ross from Glasgow, the Cairn City. It's a charity. We've basically subleased the area off them. And how do you find the Glasgow Palette? What do the people go in for the most? Do you know what? They get slated about Glasgow for mm-hmm. their food tastes, but they're really experimental. So, I mean, you've got your mainstays, your burgers and your hot dogs and stuff. There's always going to be a market, your pizzas for that. But, I mean, things like beef gin, bow buns, you know, where one of the guys is doing today is flying out the door. You feel as if you're going a bit of a world tour. So True Romance has got cheese sauce, bacon and jalapenos on the hot dog. The El Patron is chilli, grated cheese and jalapenos. And then the fire dog as well for somebody who likes a bit of spice. So it's the homemade salsa, jalapenos and then hot sauce. I've lost the smasher, I'm not going to lie. I love the smasher. You just get to pull this lever and smash your tomato in half. It's very therapeutic, I have to say. Oh, have they? I love it. And what's your name then? Mitchie. And what's it like working here then? It's great fun, the atmosphere is awesome. Remember you've not been paid yet? (laughs) (laughs) On purpose we went really family centric. I've got a two year old and she can run about, have a meltdown Mm -hmm. if she likes. You know, nobody cares. You see 70 year olds sitting having a date over a Prosecco and a you know, a bit of duck. And a Sunday it's like Crufts, people come to play with the dogs that come in, show off your designer dog. Everything looks as if it's been recycled somehow, but it's got a retro atmosphere as well. Pallets for makeshift bar snugs, strung with lights, with a definite Asian influence creeping in here and there too. Let's have a look at the menu at the Lost Bothy Scottish Street Food. Haggis bonbons, smoky fish cakes, between the Mexican, the falafel stand, the Scottish seafood. I'm definitely heading for the falafel stand. Well, he's definitely sober with a Syrian flatbread. Aiming to be the best in the country. What's the kind of atmosphere like around the big feed? Very relaxed and friendly. Uh, I was just saying yesterday, I've only met one unfriendly person here. And the one unfriendly person, that can't have been a Glaswegian, surely. I don't know what she was, (laughs) but she was gruff. 
There's that wonderful feel of, of being in your hometown, but sharing food with those that mean the most to you. Can you feel that sun? The sun it's, always shines in Glasgow, does it not? Not always, but it shines <laughs> through its people. <laughs> what's your favourite bit about being here? The atmosphere everyone's raving about. Uh, what's, what's I would favorite? say it's the best bit about it. It's not just the food, it's, it's about who you're eating with. It's, the whole experience. What's the best food? Oh, the duck, the, the hoisin and the sriracha that goes on top. Glasgow, they like their spicy food. Yeah. Mm -hmm. As long as it's got a bit of heat in it, then I, I think because our characters are full of heat, so. <laughs> <laughs> and aside from the duck, <sighs> I've got a sweet tooth, so I'd need to say it's the churros. Uh -huh, okay. Muerte por so death by churros. Not a bad way to go. <laughs> Now that I'm stuffed to the gunnels, that brings a close to this episode. It's been great to share my hometown wonders with you. And I hope that you feel just a little bit closer to Glasgow as a result. Until next time then, happy travels. For more stories from Scotland, listen and subscribe to 100,000 Welcomes. And if we've inspired you to visit Scotland, plan your trip at visitscotland.com forward slash podcast. Podcast.